Welcome to the Freckle Files, where truth merges with fiction, and the darkest mysteries come to life. Before we begin, we want to inform our listeners that this production may include topics related to and or including light profanity, death and murder, the use of firearms, and other explosives, as well as alcohol and cigarette consumption. Listener discretion is advised. Well, 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 look who's here, right on the dot. I like it. I like it a lot. You know why? Because time is limited and you're showing me that you respect mine. That's the kind of attitude I can work with. Gotta say, I was surprised seeing you here. You got guts, kid. Not everyone has what it takes to show up and meet face to face. But you did. You're the kind of person who follows through on their word. That's rare these days. Now, let's get down to business. Got your notebook? I have a story to tell. It's one of my first serious cases. Let me set the scene. Danger, betrayal, deadly waters. It's not for the faint of heart, but I have a feeling you can handle it. Door's over there if you've had enough. Leave any time. Let's see if you've got what it takes, kid. Okay, then. It was a dark and stormy night. Oh, please, did you really think I was going to start the story like that? Then I'd be doing your job. Let me set the record straight. Perfect day on the Mediterranean Sea, not a single cloud in sight. I was standing on the deck, sizing up the other guests. You know, the usual crowd at these fancy parties. They pretend to be interested in each other's company. But let's be real, they're just waiting for their next drink. These rich folks were practically begging for some action to shake up their boring, cushy existence. So they gathered at that fancy party, hoping for a taste of adventure. And let me tell you, kid, they found it. The yacht belonged to an old friend, Arthur Weston. He had sent me a personal invite to his birthday party and wasn't taking no for an answer. Arthur was always one to call the shots, carrying himself with an air of authority that made people fall in line. He'd made his fortune as a movie producer and had earned his stripes in that cutthroat world of Hollywood. But Arthur was a bit of a lone wolf. We used to be tight as kids, but as he grew older, he became more reclusive and distant. It was like he was on a mission to conquer the world, hell-bent on leaving his mark. Sometimes, I wonder just how far someone will go for the sake of ambition. I wanted to know. The invite from a very rich old buddy was too good to pass up, so I took a break from the daily grind and went there. Don't go yapping about it, though. We're expected to be workaholics, and I'm pretty damn good at my job. I showed those detectives up more than once. People often think I'm a social butterfly. No, really, write that down. But these events make me feel like a square peg in a round hole. There was a weird vibe that made me feel like I was crashing a private party. The sun was setting, casting a golden light over everything. It still couldn't shake that gnawing feeling in my gut. Not even close. We had three men, five women, and the ship's captain that night. Everyone except for the captain was on the deck celebrating Arthur. Don't remember how old he was turning. It's not important. Among them was Arthur's wife, Abigail. 
I had never met her before that afternoon. Ah, yes. Arthur and Abigail Weston, the perfect couple. But you know what they say. When there's smoke, there's usually fire. Rumors hung about their rocky relationship, but they always played the part of the picture-perfect pair. Acting a little too much, even Shakespeare would roll his eyes, just as if they were trying to convince themselves that they were happy, that their love was real. Coffee, black. Black coffee for the kid, too. Listen, in this business, we drink it black. Everything else is sugar bean water pretending to be coffee. Now, back to where I was. I soon found myself in a heated conversation, no, definitely an argument, with Alexander Pierce, a somewhat untrustworthy investor. He had wanted me to write an article about a new company of his. Something in his eyes didn't sit right with me. And can you guess what I answered? Obviously, I said no. And you know, kid, he didn't really like that. But that's something you need to do in this business. Listen to your gut. It's right more often than you think. I knew Pierce to be a cold and selfish man. Frankly, he was a narcissist. Wall Street hated him. Even the mafia hated him. He carried himself as if this whole world were beneath him. Or rather, under his shoe. I was just starting to make him regret talking to me when Lillian, Lillian Monroe, a rising Hollywood starlet, came over. Let me tell you about Lillian. This girl had talent oozing out of every pore. She was a natural-born charmer, able to schmooze even the most uptight jerks into opening up like a damn book. And she would leave you wondering how the hell you managed to divulge your deepest, darkest secrets in just under five minutes. And don't let her sweet smile fool you. Oh, no. Lillian had drive, ambition. She knew exactly what she wanted. Hell, I respected her hustle more than most of the clowns I dealt with on a daily basis. Ah, thank you. Drink up, kid. Caffeine is the journalist's drug of choice. Four out of five recommend. Pierce and Lillian started talking about God knows what and I got bored. So I went to look for food. Believe it or not, some of my adventures start with hunger. And that leads me to places I shouldn't be, like in this damn cafe with you. And you know what kind of luck I have, kid? As soon as I spotted a bowl of almonds on the bar, Mariana Williams, always with a drink in her hand, found me. Four years prior in New York, I had had the misfortune of meeting her. She was rich and cruel and cunning. There was a glint in her eye that made my skin crawl. I heard she inherited her wealth, but kid... I swear she clawed her way to the top and wouldn't stop at anything to stay there. She was a predator, just waiting to pounce. I'll tell you what went down. Mariana stopped me. She said hello in a sickly sweet tone. She called me darling and made a sarcastic remark about me being a, quote, clever stowaway. Well, I explained that I couldn't miss Arthur's birthday, and Mariana waved it off said she couldn't stand being on a yacht, adding that the smell of the sea made her queasy. Then Lillian sidled up to us, and I was almost grateful for her distraction, till her rock of a ring caught the setting light blinding me. I blinked in surprise. You're married? 
She looked confused and then looked down. Oh, God, no. Wedding rings go on the left hand. Hey, what do I know, kid? I wasn't married nor interested in it. Lillian sipped her drink and asked what I had been up to. I mentioned an article I was working on. Mariana raised an eyebrow and said, Oh, really? I hope it's more impressive than your last one. So, being the social butterfly I am, I replied, Your concern for my work is touching, but I'm not the one who needs improvement. That got her to move. Okay, kid, insider secret. A journalist's greatest tool is not their pen or their voice, but their ability to navigate a situation. You gotta know when to speak up and when to clam up. And when you're in a tight spot, you gotta know how to use your words to get free. Believe me, you'll use them plenty. Think you can do that? If not, my coffee's getting cold and there's the door. Yeah? Okay. Where was I? Oh, yes. Mariana, please. I slid past her like a bad habit and found myself at the bar with Reginald Beaumont, the old-school charmer. Ah, Reg. The guy was practically a living fossil, had more wrinkles than a raisin. But he was a lifelong friend of the Westons, actually living on their estate. I remembered him from when I was a kid with Arthur. And then there they were, Arthur and Abigail, walking over, looking like a million bucks. Arthur was cozying up to her like a love-struck sap. Meanwhile, Reg was mixing up a mystery cocktail with my name on it. When he slid it my way and I took a swig, holy hell, it was like swallowing something straight from the devil himself. I sputtered and coughed, and they all cracked up like it was the funniest thing in the world. Abigail then let me in on the gag, a birthday prank they had pulled on Arthur. Despite how much it burned, I couldn't help but laugh along. Reg, thank God, passed me a glass of water. Don't tell me you thought the night was going to be smooth sailing. The chatter and the ambiance lured me in, and I found myself gravitating towards the bar, munching on almonds and shooting the breeze with the guests as they came and went. Admittedly, I felt pretty laid back at that point, but that nagging feeling in the pit of my stomach was still there. Ignoring your gut instinct can have serious consequences, and I should have known better. You know how it goes. As the night crept in and the sun dipped below the horizon, our inhibitions loosened. Being on a boat certainly didn't help matters. Even on solid ground, I can get a bit wobbly after a few drinks. But, with Arthur as our excuse to celebrate, we toasted and cheered, myself included. The sound of glasses clinking and laughter echoed through the air intermittently interrupted by Nathaniel's singing. He had decided to serenade the group with a hearty rendition of a sea shanty, much to everyone's amusement. What? Oh, Nathaniel Sterling. I almost forgot. How could I forget a man with a smile that can make even the most unflappable, that was a word we used back then, of women weak in the knees. Nathaniel was the quintessential playboy, a wealthy heir who had made a name for himself not only as a man of means, but as a man of confidence and charm. He was also Arthur's top competitor in the Hollywood landscape. The two of them held majority stakes in competing studios. He was also Arthur's best friend. Regardless of the truth, there was no denying that his presence raised a few eyebrows and pulses wherever he went. And that cocky grin of his? Oh... 
He knew damn well the effect he had on people. But you know what's hilarious? How many secrets can be spilled after a few drinks? As the night went on and Reg stepped up as our makeshift bartender, the conversation took a turn for the serious. I bounced around from one group to the next, catching bits and pieces of gossip and scandalous rumors. Some were harmless. Others? Well, let's see if I can remember them all now. Write these down. First off, we've got the West in the State business. Abigail's all for selling it, but Reg thinks it's got to stay to preserve its legacy. Later on, I heard Lillian and Reg going back and forth about a new flick that Arthur was involved in. But man, you could cut the tension with a knife. Reg was almost menacing when he warned Lillian to stay away from Arthur. Definitely raised some red flags in my book. Then there's Mariana telling Abigail all about her recent trip to Europe and dropping big bucks on some fancy art. I avoided that conversation. Then Arthur and Nathaniel were getting all fired up about some classic books, and I couldn't resist jumping in. Turns out Nathaniel and I have some similar interests in philosophy. But just when the conversation was dying and was about to put me to sleep, a sharp sound pierced through the night. And kid, let me tell you, all conversations stopped. Say, clean up that coffee you spilled. I haven't even gotten to the good part of the night. There we were. The air was tense and anxious. No one spoke. Abigail, the hostess, had struck the investor Alexander Pierce across the face. I couldn't hear what was said, but even with the distance between us, I could read their faces as easily as the weekly column. Abigail was furious, and Pierce looked confused. My mind raced with curiosity, wondering what dark secrets could have been shared between the two to fuel such an explosive exchange. Hey kid, write that line down. That was like a line straight from the movies. My mind raced with... Okay, good. You've got it. Anyways, when Abigail immediately left, we all stood there like mute ducks, not knowing what to do next. Arthur looked a little distressed. But you know, to my surprise, it was Nathaniel who mumbled something to Arthur and hurried after her. Though not without telling all of us to keep celebrating. Yes, I'll have another. Actually, do you mind just leaving the carafe? Thanks. As I was saying, I found this all very strange. More strange than you calling me on a random Tuesday. Of course, after Nathaniel went below decks, everyone had a new, singular topic of conversation. Wonder what it could have- Obviously, it was about the slap kid. Don't write that down. Lillian, bless her heart, started reenacting the whole scene with exaggerated gestures, while Arthur simply went to the bar and poured himself another drink. Mariana and Reginald were still sitting there, chatting away. But you know what really caught my attention? Pierce. Despite the obvious red handprint on his cheek, he seemed oddly pleased with himself, like he had won some sort of twisted game, and that mark was his badge of honor. And that put my reporter senses on high alert. Something clearly wasn't right, you know? No, you don't know. You gotta build that sense of intuition. Don't worry, kid. You'll have it soon enough. Ah, where was it? Oh, yes. The aftermath of the slap. I was torn between wanting to sleep and needing to be on deck. But a good journalist will stay up for days at a time just to get the scoop. 
so I stayed, going near the railing to snap me out of any champagne-fueled stupor. By then, Lillian was now done with her dramatic retelling of The Slap, and was chatting up Arthur at the bar, who seemed more interested in his drink than her. Mariana was nowhere to be seen, thank God, and Pierce was deep in conversation with Reginald, probably still discussing the recent drama. I was just about to join them when Nathaniel showed up again, interrupting everyone's conversations. Nathaniel had a way of commanding attention without even trying, and we all turned to face him. But before he could say a word, Mariana unfortunately reappeared, storming up after him. The wind picked up, messing up her hair and adding to the drama of the moment. And then she said it, the one thing that nobody saw coming. I know, she said. Her voice was just loud enough to carry over the sound of the waves. It had a venomous edge. I know you've been with Abigail, Nathaniel. And with a casual swing of her head towards Abigail's husband and my dear friend Arthur, Mariana's expression changed to a mocking pout. Oops, she said with a little bit of amusement. And kid... She knew full well that her words had revealed a scandal and a betrayal that could change everything. I mean, the shock on Nathaniel's face was palpable and his mouth popped open as if to speak. No words came out. I think that was the first time I had ever seen him speechless. Surprised? Caught red-handed? Both? We all waited for someone, anyone, to make the next move. It was so quiet. I only heard the waves against the yacht. Arthur's face had meanwhile gone ashen and he was gripping his glass so tightly I was fearful for both the glass and Nathaniel. Nathaniel, now having regained his ability to speak, had launched into a feverish defense, reminding Arthur of all they had been through in their university years and how he could never believe a scheming and gossiping socialite over their sacred pact of brotherhood and despite them being competitors. He was going a mile a minute trying to explain himself and clear his name. Mariana, on the other hand, seemed disinterested, barely even looking up from her drink. Lillian and Reginald had wisely excused themselves to the other end of the yacht, but I couldn't tear myself away. I wanted to know everything, to unravel the threads of this scandal and see where they led. That's some good journalist instincts, you know. Never let a story drop. With a final glance of betrayal at Nathaniel, Arthur left, leaving us to awkwardly pick up the pieces of his ruined birthday celebration. And there I was, standing on the deck of a luxury yacht in the middle of the Mediterranean, feeling like I had stepped into a scene from the weekly column. You just can't pay for this kind of drama. Nathaniel then stepped into the center of the deck, his arms up in a sort of peacekeeping gesture. Come on, everyone. A smooth smile on his face. Let's not let this little hiccup ruin Arthur's big night. Mariana, I appreciate the drama, but let's put this to rest. It's just not true, and Arthur will figure that out soon enough. We're all here to celebrate him, so let's raise a glass and enjoy the party. And as for me, he said with a playful wink, I'm just happy to be in such great company. I didn't believe him for a second. Uh, maybe a second. He was so damn charming. But the other seemed convinced enough. 
though maybe they just knew better than to get involved. Drinks were poured for all once again. Reg poured and Abigail served. Nathaniel grabbed two glasses and handed one to Mariana. I nearly smiled to see her double-fisting her drinks. I know, I know. There was a lot of drinking. But it's important to know. Mariana rolled her eyes and muttered something under her breath, but she still raised a glass with us in her toast to Arthur. It was more of a pity toast, to be honest. Everyone felt so awkward. God, that was uncomfortable. Too bad this place doesn't serve anything stronger. Just the thought of how uncom- I digress. The point is, all seemed fine until it wasn't. And that's when it happened. A blood-curdling shriek shattered the night air. Lillian, who had separated from the group, was alone at the yacht bow. Her champagne flute was in shards at her feet, and she was making such a terrible noise, howling into the dark. Nathaniel grabbed Lillian by the shoulders and turned her around, trying to calm her down. Her eyes were filled with tears, and her charcoal mascara was smudged all over her face. Kid, she was a mess. Lillian was babbling incoherently, unable to control her emotions. Arthur and Abigail then came up behind us, having just reappeared, and demanded to know what was happening. I was watching the chaos of the scene, taking it all in, when something shiny caught my eye. No, not like that. It was a glint. Like Lillian's ring earlier. But this was coming from the deck. When I looked down below everyone's feet, I could see Lillian's feet were bleeding. Her shoes weren't there. Now let me ask you, kid. Where the hell did her shoes go? I sure didn't know. But I wasn't thinking about that at the time. I was worried about the blood. When I told Arthur this, actually having to yell above the commotion, a whole new kind of commotion started. I bet they could have heard us from the shore, wherever it was. So in the space of, say, a minute, far, far shorter than this chat has been, Arthur assumes command and sends Reg to get medical stuff from below decks, for Nathaniel to get towels from the bar, and for me to get the captain. But, of course, the captain, having already heard the scream, I mean, who hadn't, nearly sent me toppling over. Captain Phillips was a big man, a big, beefy, muscular man. Let's just say I'd hate to see the other guy brave enough to pick a fight with him. So, this is actually pretty terrifying for him to come barreling at me. I was only gone for a minute or two, having gotten a bit lost at first in the hubbub. Now, when the captain and I, having somehow avoided being crushed, returned, there were three things I noticed right away. One, Lillian was not screaming like she had been. She was standing and glaring down at Nathaniel, or maybe something below him, who, too, was on his knees. And three, Arthur was crying. This stopped me dead in my tracks. Excuse the pun. Er, sorry. Foreshadowing pun? Ah, when I get excited, I start skipping details. Seeing Arthur cry was like sending ice rushing through my veins. This man was powerful. He had worked hard to build his empire. Tears were foreign to him. So I knew something terrible had happened. I could see it in his eyes, kid. Reg was there, too. His posture betrayed a deep sense of dread. The medical kit hung limply in his hand. His ashen face and wild eyes were a bad omen. 
You know that feeling of dread when you know something terrible has happened, but you don't know what it is yet? That overwhelming surge of anticipation where you want to know, and at the same time, if you say it, it becomes real? This was that moment, kid. There on the deck, lying truly and terribly dead, was none other than Mariana Williams, the woman who, yes, I did not like, but who certainly did not deserve to die like that. Abigail had a hand over her mouth, horrified. The captain and I, not knowing what the hell had happened, demanded to know exactly what the hell had happened. Then everyone started talking at once. She had just collapsed right there. They didn't see anything. She was with the group. Was it a heart attack? Was it too much drinking? Was she actually dead? All very good questions you might ask, and you should be asking questions, because I have answers. It was not a heart attack. It was not too much drinking. Of a kind. And yes, she was actually dead. How do I know? The captain, who just so happened to have a shady background he preferred not to disclose, was kneeling by Mariana's side when he picked up a shard from the now second broken flute and sniffed it. He quickly stood up, almost knocking me to the ground. Again. Cyanide, he growled. I didn't dare breathe, not wanting to break the heavy tension that hung in the air. Abigail was the first to speak up, asking how he knew about it. He explained that cyanide has a distinct bitter almond scent and proceeded to delve into the technical details about the poison, which only added to my growing sense of dread. I jotted down some notes, knowing this knowledge might come in handy one day. Apparently, a large dose of alcohol can neutralize the acid, which means that a huge amount of cyanide would need to be ingested to reach lethal levels in the bloodstream. I won't bore you with the rest of the details, but the coroner later confirmed this theory after we returned to shore. The theory about the cyanide. But back to where I was. Okay. This, of course, had me starting to panic. Had I eaten the whole bowl of almonds earlier? Yes. Was I now wishing I had not eaten the whole bowl of almonds earlier? Hell yes. There were so many things not adding up. It was all too confusing. Why had Abigail slapped Pierce? Besides the obvious, why was Lillian screaming like a banshee? And the biggest question of them all, who wanted Mariana dead? The captain's words were a death sentence, each syllable heavy with the weight of truth. Kid, I still remember that moment vividly. It was as if the very fabric of the ship had been torn apart, leaving us all adrift in a sea of uncertainty and fear. And when reality and realization began to sink in for everyone, that's when the panic started to set in. There was a killer among us, and we had nowhere to run. As the weight of the captain's words came crashing down like a ton of bricks, an uncomfortable silence settled in, suffocating us all. The tension in the room grew thicker than Aunt Mildred's overcooked gravy, and suspicions flew. I couldn't help but roll my eyes when Lillian, in her fit of paranoia, pointed a perfectly manicured finger at me and snarled. A.D.? What's that supposed to mean? I bet you did it. Irritated by the accusation, I shot back, Oh, please. Annoyed detective. That's what it stands for. And I was curious to note this shut her up real fast. No one was safe from the accusations. 
Have you ever played Clue? The game, kid. Clue. The one with the secret passageways with Professor Plum, Miss Scarlet. You know. Yes, you know. In that game, you never make an accusation without knowing your facts. Remember that in this line of business. It seemed that even the closest of friends had become suspects in this macabre game of whodunit. The sense of camaraderie that had once existed among us was now replaced with fear and mistrust. And it was clear that we were all on our own in this fight for innocence. Nathaniel's face was pale, his hands shaking as he spoke. If not us, then who? I glanced around the circle of faces, searching for any sign of guilt. But everyone looked just as confused and terrified as I was. Although I was not terrified, don't write that down. After a dramatic pause that could rival an Oscar-worthy performance, Arthur cleared his throat with all the gusto of a politician. Straightening his posture, he unleashed a proclamation that would make even the most hardened criminals quiver in their boots. Ladies and gentlemen, we are dealing with a spineless murderer, a coward who lurks among us. I swear to you, we will find you and hold you accountable. I wondered just how long he had been waiting to say that. His voice resonated with a surprising steadiness, as if he had been preparing for this speech since birth. And then he proceeded to look each of us in the eyes, as if he could see into our very souls. I must admit, at that moment, I felt wholly guilty of some crime unbeknownst to me. And I don't do crime. I reveal it. Still, I had an uncanny urge to check if I had unknowingly stolen all the desserts from the buffet. Arthur's eyes sparkled with a burning intensity. His next words echoed through the air like a rallying cry for justice. We have a common enemy and a shared objective. No bolts shall remain unturned. No clue shall be ignored. God, I can't believe I still remember that. It was as campy as I'll get out. I've read better in comic books. Ugh, don't write that down. Arthur's plan was methodical and precise. His usual calm demeanor had returned. If we didn't act fast, one of us could be next. He began by outlining the roles we would play in the investigation. Nathaniel and Pierce were to search the ship from stem to stern, checking every nook and cranny for any clues or evidence that might have been left behind. Lillian and Abigail were to cover Mariana's body and search her personal effects, looking for any indication of who might have wanted her dead. Reginald was to piece together a timeline with the captain, and I was to help Arthur interview each passenger and the captain, seeking any information they might have had to help solve the mystery. And under no circumstance was anyone to go off alone. Oh gosh, look at the time. I can't believe how fast it's flown by. We did not get through nearly everything I thought we would. I'll cover the bill. God knows young journalists don't get paid anything. Though, neither do experienced vets, mind you. I'll see you next Tuesday if you're up for it. Eh, maybe a couple of Tuesdays. And I won't be offended if you don't have it in you. Some just don't have what it takes. Until then, kid. Thank you for listening. This episode was written, directed, and performed by H.G. Zeisler. For updates and more AD Freckle content, follow The Freckle Files on social media at The Freckle Files. And email us your thoughts at thefrecklefiles at gmail.com. Website coming soon. Copyright 2023 The Freckle Files. All rights reserved. This podcast and its content are protected under the international copyright laws. 
No part of this podcast may be reproduced or distributed in any form or by any means without the express written permission of the Freckle Files.